0: Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So, come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski.
1: You know, Tom, you know when I come to the Catholic Cafe and I'm sitting here and I look at what appears to be two to three dozen cookies... Oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Shea Ben's in the house. That's exactly right. The head chef of the Catholic <laughs> Cafe is joining us again, and these cookies look good. Father Ben Bradshaw, welcome to the Catholic Cafe, or thanks for coming out of the kitchen uh, hey. to bring us cookies. <laughs>
2: it's good to be here. Butter helps everything.
1: That's exactly. well, We got like half a pound of butter in front of us, don't we? <laughs> that's right. Very good. Well, my cardiologist is probably going to call you later on, but uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, if you don't tell him, I won't tell him. That's good. We are uh, we Tom. We've invited uh, Father Ben because we're going to talk about one of his most loved subjects because he always always ranting about it. I
2: you know I believe it. I'm looking at the tabs on the side (laughs) of it and it's it's very impressive. There's got to be 50 tabs there. Homemade tabs.
1: If you don't know already, we're going to talk about the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a monumental, wonderful document that the Church uh, has given us as a gift. Uh, and we're going to talk uh, with Father Ben about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I guess, Father Ben, let's just start with what is a catechism? What, is it, what does that word come from and what does it mean, a catechism? Mm.
2: The word catechize means literally to echo. So if you imagine anybody that's ever taken piano lessons or guitar lessons, usually what ha- will happen is your teacher will play something and say, now you play it. And that's uh, traditionally, of course, that's been one of the ways that the church is taught. Over her 2,000 years history is that someone will teach something and then they kind of echo it back. And that's what the, the word catechize means. And also it's very beautiful, of course, in the church. We have many beautiful stained glass windows, the music, the architecture. This is all form of catechesis in the tradition of the church, especially if you ever go to some of the European churches or even in Mexico um, when people couldn't read of course, right. for what was that, 1,500 years or so. Right. And this before. is how the
1: church did her teaching. Yeah. You know, when you're you're yeah. te- we're, we're talking about uh, people who are illiterate, who yeah. have no uh, way to read or write, and you can't just send out a letter. Send a memo out. <laughs> That's right. <or laughs> let Download it. write. It's not, it's not, it's not going to work. And so they would go to these beautiful churches and they would see the, basically the story mm-hmm. of salvation played out in these windows.
2: Absolutely, mm-hmm. and the statues too. Oh, yes. And it's, it's uh, very beautiful because this is, and to some degree even we've lost a sense of that piety. That we're right. try, trying to regain a little bit, and of course, this, the beauty of the liturgy itself is, a, is the greatest catechesis.
1: So we have catechesis now. We have you know the teachings of the church, or, the, or, or, or great teachings that we need to know about uh, to understand what God intended for us. And so we put those together into a catechism. Is that is that what we what we done?
2: Right. It was in the 15th century. Of course, we had the printing press. I think it was about 1480, something like that. If I'm not mistaken. And really, the first catechisms um, came not from the Catholic Church, but from Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote a tremendous... That's your uh, great-great-uncle, right? That's really. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I was baptized Lutheran in the Lutheran Church, and there then became go. Catholic. And um, so Martin Luther wrote a tremendous amount, tremendous amount of, of work. And you can still get access to a lot of his uh, catechisms, of course. But then um, with the, in 1566... Following the Council of Trent, we we published the um, the Roman Catechism, or the Catechism of, of uh, Trent. Very beautiful, of course. The the Church reaffirmed the the seven sacraments, the canon of Scripture, the Blessed Mother, the Eucharist. Right. That the Eucharist was the sacrifice. Martin Luther said it was not. We said it is a sacrifice. So at Mass, we say, pr- the priest says, "Pray, brethren, that this our sacrifice right. may be acceptable." And the priests say, and the people say, "May God accept this sacrifice in your hands." Right,
1: and all this is written down in a catechism, which is like mm-hmm. this collection of the teachings. That's right. That's right. Right, and now let's fast forward to, like, say, four hundred years later. <laughs> right. So there's this all right. this time when we have this wonderful catechism of the Council of Trent, and then now we have this new catechism of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. And I think it's uh, the back of the book actually says it's the first uh, comprehensive catechism since the Council of Trent, really, effectively. And so, obviously, for some reason, the church and those that were in authority in the church thought we needed a new catechism. Mm-hmm.
2: It's very interesting, of course, in this country. In, what was that, 1884, I think it was, we had the Baltimore Catechism right. published. Mm-hmm. And very beautiful. You know, why did God make me? <laughs> to right. know and love him and serve him, of course. And we published it, we made it very, very simple because we, we, from 1830 to 1930, we had a tremendous amount of immigrants that came to this country, many of whom couldn't read. Very simple faith, but very devout, from Ireland, Italy, Germany in particular. And then of course, in um, from 1962 to 1965, we had the, the Second Vatican Council. And um, exactly 20 years after the closing of the council, in Rome, they had the Senate of the Bishops, and the person put in charge of that was our present Pope, and uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. And, of course, John Paul II was there, but Ratzinger, had um, he said that we need to redirect our catechesis. Uh, after 20 years following the Council, we need to redirect our catechesis and, and actually go back to the authentic teachings of the faith. And um, And John Paul II agreed. And so seven years later, on uh, 1992, they published the first copy after going through many drafts. And right. Cardinal Sean from Vienna was also there to help him. And so in 1992, they published the first copy. It's very, very beautiful. It's, it's uh, not just for Catholics. This is for non-Catholics, too. And I always tell people, I think it's wonderful to use the catechism as a prayer book. You know, a lot of people will use it as, uh, you know, like a reference book, like a phone book or something. Right. But this is beautiful, beautiful, rich teaching. Everything is documented going back all the way thousands of years. Very, very beautiful. So how would you do that? How would you use it as a prayer book? What I think is great, especially, let's say hypothetically that a a couple struggles with a certain teaching of the faith. Let's Mm -hmm. say contraception. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go and read what it says. And, and, and let God touch your mind. Fide et ratio, faith and reason. Learn what the church teaches on this with your mind, and then go and pray about it. Say, Lord, you know, this is tough for me. This is tough for me. I'm having a hard time with this. Touch me in a way that that, that, that priests can't touch, you know, in in the sense of uh, of catechesis at Mass. Mm-hmm. Touch my heart and help me to hear what you have to say. And, and then slowly it begins to touch our mind. John Paul II said that... Um, that faith and reason are like two wings of the same bird that bring us to heaven. He said in his 1998 encyclical, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. So our mind and our heart working together to understand the faith. The catechism is not just for the mind. This deeply affects the heart. And this, of course, changes who we are so that when people encounter us, they encounter Jesus Christ.
1: Now, I know uh, maybe a Protestant who would be listening to our show would say, well, you know, I do the same thing, but I use the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with using the Bible. We, we see the Bible as truth as well. But I think people need to understand that uh, the, cath- the Catholic catechism is not really uh, – it's not opinion. Mm-hmm. It's not just random thought. It's not commentary on the Bible or something like that. There are a lot of things in the catechism that are uh, – that might take on that, that thought. But really we need to understand that the Catholic cate- the catechism of the Catholic church – it is a statement of truth. Mm-hmm. It's it is. it is This is what our faith teaches. And that's why it's such a beautiful gift because even within families, you know, there'll be discussions or arguments about, well, we do this or we do that or whatever. Which one's right? What do we really say? And as Catholics, we have discourse within the Catholic Church about what does the church actually teach. And that's why this is such a beautiful gift because when John Paul II said it's a sure uh, norm for teaching mm-hmm. the faith. Uh, in fact, I should read a little bit of that. At the beginning of the catechism, uh, there's a document called Fide Depositum, which uh, on the publication of the catechism of the Catholic Church. And there's a paragraph in there I wanted to read, and basically it's, it's the value, the doctrinal value of the text. And this is what John Paul II says. He, he calls the catechism... Um, A statement of the church's faith and of Catholic doctrine attested to or illuminated by sacred scripture, the apostolic tradition, and the church's magisterium. Then he further goes on and says, I declare it to be a sure norm for teaching the faith and thus a valid and legitimate instrument for ecclesial communion. May it serve the renewal to which the Holy Spirit ceaselessly calls the church of God, the body of Christ, on her pilgrimage to the undiminished light of the kingdom. But I mean, he's got, he's got yeah. big plans for this book. You know, he's writing he's it. Mm-hmm. An, it's an instant bestseller, right? Mm-hmm. It's already number one on the all, the all the the top-selling lists. So we need to understand that the catechism is not someone's opinion. Mm-hmm. It's the church's opinion.
2: Absolutely. And this is so good. I mean, it, I don't know how they, they gauge these things. But people, uh, studies have shown that that many, of course, non-Catholics read this because they want to know what the Catholic Church teaches. Hmm. They may not always agree with it. Um, Catholics may not always agree with it, but it's, the question becomes, what does the church teach, and where does it get this? And uh, it cross-references many scriptural points, the saints, the councils. We've had 21 ecumenical councils, uh, many regional councils. And so this, this makes the point you know, that we're not making this up. This is something that God has given us through the, the history of the church. St. Paul says, I pass on to you what I myself have received. And so um, certainly in our generation, we have the moral duty to pass that on as well.
1: Right. And you were just talking earlier uh, about Tom's question about how would would you pray over the catechism. And you'd want to make sure that that your prayer was based on some kind of truth, right? Mm -hmm. And so looking through the catechism, you see truth displayed easily before you in the English language or whatever language you happen to um, uh, be fluent in, right? It's all over the world. And this is a sort of a universal statement of the truth. And then once you know the truth, then you can pray about the truth.
2: Absolutely. It's amazing. It it is very, very beautiful because there's uh, many, many times many people have come to me over the years and just saying, Father, I never knew that. I grew up Catholic. And never knew this or that teaching until I read it in the catechism. Um, wonderful, different people say, well, Father, that's pretty daunting. I mean, this is a daunting book. And there's many, many more user-friendly catechisms that people can approach. They even have it, of course, on CD now so you can listen right. to it if you don't have time to read things. And But I know many couples that will read a paragraph a night. And it says, and they've told me it's completely changed their marriage because it's a great way of prayer. Right. And they grow in their faith and they see how this is deeply, deeply scriptural and it's deeply, deeply rooted in the traditions of the faith.
1: Beautiful. And so we want to talk more about the Catechism when we come back after our break. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind people at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com and I want to ask people to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com and so with that, I'm going to eat a cookie and we'll be right back. <laughs>
0: I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. When you think of saints, you often think of saintly qualities like patience, love, humility, and generosity. Not so with St. Jerome, a priest and doctor of the church born in the mid-4th century. On more than a few occasions, St. Jerome stood outside the church doors doing penance for his bad temper. While this was true, more than anything he was a staunch defender of the truth and an ardent lover of the Word of God. He felt that anyone who taught error was an enemy of God to be defeated with the swift and sure strokes of his powerful pen. St. Jerome was a scholar of great wisdom and understanding. He was a master of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and he spent many years in study in the celebrated centers of scholarship like Rome and Alexandria. He was a great student of sacred learning because he realized its vital role in obtaining the beatific vision. He once said, Let us learn upon earth those things which can call us to heaven. Sometimes feared for his veracity, but always known to be a genuine man of God, St. Jerome was respected by his peers. St. Augustine said of him, What Jerome does not know, no mortal man has ever known. He was very prolific in his writings. Above all, his scriptural writings have been without equal in the history of the church. St. Jerome is most remembered for his translation of the Bible into the common or vulgar language of the people, making it more accessible to the common people called the Vulgate, his vigilant and meticulous translation was very popular and became the standard version of the Bible for over a thousand years. Many who question the authority of the church like to point to the fact that St. Jerome openly opposed the inclusion of the seven deuterocanonical books in the official canon of the Bible. While this is true, as he rarely held his opinions to himself, Few people realize that ultimately St. Jerome recognized, upheld, and defended the authority of Holy Mother Church in defining the canon and placed the books in their rightful place in the Bible. In 402 AD, St. Jerome wrote regarding this issue What sin have I committed if I follow the judgment of the churches? At the end of his life, St. Jerome finally settled in Bethlehem, where he lived in a cave believed to be the birthplace of Jesus. He died there in 420 AD. His feast day is September 30th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And we're back in the Catholic Cafe. We still got a couple of cookies left. Actually, there's a piece of a cookie laying in front of you, Tom. I see that. Uh, the, is that the part that has all the fat and stuff it in is. it? It is. That's so exactly right. So you ate around all the fat. and that's, you that's exactly right. I, I try got to this deep thing fry it for
2: you, Tom. Oh, man. You know that'd be good. It'd be wonderful. God can do amazing
1: things. Have they
0: done that at the fair yet?
1: Not yet. Well, let me ask you this. If God can do amazing things with cookies, <laughs> what about with this catechism? <laughs> Was that a nice transition to get that us back was. on topic? You're good. That's why you're a professional. <laughs> well, let's keep talking about the catechism here. Let's, let's, uh, you know, fathers. I look over at your catechism, which you carry around with you, and your. I mean, this is a big old book, and I'm amazed that you you fit it into your back pocket. Uh, it's kind of like your wallet. You know, your wallet's so full of money and such, but uh, your catechism there has got. Uh, it's obviously been well read. Uh, tattered edges, and you've got all these. Uh, Tom was pointing out these little notes that are sticking out posted the sides, these t- post-it mm-hmm. notes, these tabs. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, for quick reference, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's talk about what is contained in the ca- – how is it organized? I mean, we've, we've been talking about this is the teachings of the church. I, mean, I think it would be a really boring seminar if we said teaching number one, teaching number two, <laughs> teaching number three. But really, the catechism is more than just sort of a chronological or uh, doctrinal or whatever, just list of all the things the Catholic Church teaches. It's really quite beautiful and, in times, uh, very poetic. Mm-hmm. But how is, it, how is it laid out? It's very simple. It looks daunting, but it's
2: very, very simple. It's laid out in four sections. And the way you can remember that, of course, is the four Gospels. And so section number one talks about um, our creed, what we believe, um, the Nicene Creed. It breaks it apart. Second part, um, of course, talks about our sacraments and the sacramental life. Part three talks about the moral life. This is where you're going to find things like the virtues, uh, teaching on contraception, or the teaching, of course, on euthanasia and abortion. And then, of course, part four is my, my favorite part. It's very beautiful. It's on Christian prayer. And again this draws on the teachings of the saints just to read a little bit on part 4 page 1 of part 4 of the catechism number 2559 says what is prayer what is prayer what is it what are we what are we talking about when we say prayer it says quote prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to god or the requesting of good things from god and it quotes there from saint john damascene so what is prayer? It's a raising of the heart and mind to God, not to ourselves. So, for instance, the liturgy is not a performance. As a priest, I'm not an right. entertainer. And um, But you um, are
1: very entertaining. <laughs>
2: I'll have to say that. <laughs> well, it's so much fun. I just love talking about these things. I kind of feel like uh, just passionate about these things all the time. And
1: plus you bring cookies. <laughs> hey, that helps.
2: Butter helps everything. And with, um, with this, it's really amazing, though, because... Again, so much of this goes back to the liturgy because in the Catholic Church, of course, um, this is not – we're not creating a a golden calf in our liturgy so that we create a nice little God that's convenient. Christianity, when properly lived, is not really very comfortable. Um, God is always asking us to go uh, push what we're comfortable with. He says in the gospel, he says, when someone asks you to go one mile, go two. Somebody asks for your cloak, give them your tunic.
1: Right. Turn the other cheek. Yeah. Oh, uh, be
2: perfect amazing. as your
1: heavenly father is perfect. Right. That's, mean, that's pretty daunting. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I mean, these are daunting tasks. And so Christianity, when properly lived,
1: is always a, it's joyful. It's hopeful, but it's always a little bit uncomfortable. We forget Jesus was really in this time was a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, very radical in his teachings. Mm-hmm. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so uh, uh, it's radical. It
2: is, and he says, of course, in, in John's Gospel, he says, look, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. No no servant is greater than his master. And um, that being said, we have to ground ourselves in prayer if we are to right. persevere. I mean, this is nowhere more true than one's vocation. If you have a vocation of the priesthood, religious life, married life. Um, we have to have this grounding in
1: prayer. So the catechism, when it's just talking about prayer, and this is a very, this part four, it's a pretty long section, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said about prayer and all of the various aspects of prayer that really, you know, you think, well, what's prayer? Well, that's talking to God. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, well, that's, it's that simple. But really, that's where the, the catechism is so wonderful because there's these beautiful passages that draw on the early church fathers, all the teachings of the early fathers, the tradition of our church, but also draws on sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. And then the teachings of the church, the magisterium, uh, the, the, the several of the encyclicals. And it brings all these together into a very comprehensive Uh, beautiful poetic discussion about prayer.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For instance, with that, and with this section in particular, it talks about the three types of prayer that we typically know. Vocal prayer. We say, Our Father, signifying unity. One, Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We don't say, My Father who art in heaven. Right. Our Father, unity. And part of vocal prayer is our actions. You know, why do Catholics sit, stand, kneel? Sit, stand, kneel at Mass. Why do we do this? Because we're showing with our bodies um, prayer. This is this is a, a form of prayer. Um, and this is because the body is holy. The body is sacred. The body is the temple of the Lord. Vocal prayer, meditative prayer. We meditate on the mysteries of the rosary. Um, John Paul II said many times when we're praying the rosary, we're praying the gospels. It's all about the right. gospels.
1: It's a story of salvation.
2: Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. And so it's not, uh, this is, it's, it's actually Christocentric. To Jesus through Mary, right, and then of course, finally, contemplative prayer it talks about um, that we in some ways, this is the most difficult and the most easy of all the prayers, and contemplative mm-hmm. prayer um, we we just receive Mary pondered these things in her heart, we hear in the Gospels, we receive, we try to quiet our minds, tr- quiet our words and and not and and not so much put forth petitions, but say, Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What do you need to say to me? Now, that's difficult for us in our culture because we have a busy culture. Most right. of us are always thinking,
1: what do I need to do next? Who's waiting on me? What, who do I need to email? And so this is just one little tiny piece of what you find in the catechism. Mm-hmm. And there's every – pretty much every teaching of the church is to be found there. And, mm-hmm. and I often hear some of uh, my fellow Catholics saying, well, you know, uh, Deacon, I'm not really qualified to answer this question. When when someone asks me in my family who's not Catholic, why do we do this? Why do we worship Mary? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel qualified to answer. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if you would just pop open your catechism. And there's a wonderful gift with the catechism called an index – In the back, right? And then you open that up, and and it's amazing. You'll find Mary in the index, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And there'll be like this 500 different things, aspects about Mary. And it'll tell you, you'd mentioned when you started to read that that paragraph on prayer, you mentioned there was a little number at the beginning, a paragraph number, Mm -hmm. right? And that's so we can all be on the same page of the hymnal, right? And so you go to a – you look (laughs) under there, and it'll tell you what paragraph number to look at. And when you look at it, suddenly there'll be whatever question uh, your family member or your friend or something had about Mary will be there. And, and, and it's always used, usually so beautiful. Here's, uh, for instance, paragraph number 971 Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. All generations will call me blessed. The church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin is intrinsic to Christian worship. The church rightly honors the Blessed Virgin with special devotion. From the most ancient times, the Blessed Virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs. This very special devotion differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the Incarnate Word. We're talking about Jesus here, and equally to the Father and the Holy Spirit, and greatly fosters this adoration. So what we see is when people say, well, why do you worship Mary? Well, my Protestant friend, my dearly beloved friend, let's go to paragraph 971 of the Catechism. And this is an authoritative, uh, definitive statement of faith here. This is what our church teaches. Our church teaches that we rightly honor the Blessed Virgin. We don't adore her. Adoration belongs solely to the Trinity, Mm -hmm. right, to God. God gets adoration. We adore Jesus. We adore the Holy Spirit. However, we... Don't adore Mary because adoration belongs to God. We honor, we venerate, we respect, we reverence. All these things are good things. When you read that, and it's very poetic and beautiful. What I read there was it's nice reading, very prayerful.
2: Absolutely, and the, the Latin term there's hyperdulia that we offer we offer Mary um, this great reverence, knowing that she brings all of our prayers to God. She retains nothing for herself. She's like the great quarterback. That's right. <laughs> who passes on the football great quarterback. and and um, we offer the saints in the Latin term "dulia," whereas we offer to God alone "latria," and only God we offer the the praise and adoration.
1: And a lot of people will mistakenly say that we adore Mary, as if you'd say like, "Oh, isn't that child adorable?" Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we need to get our terms <laughs> correct because really, that's where it leads to all this uh, the problems in oh, the yeah. communication, where you know a, a, someone will say, oh, "My." good Baptist friends. Well, it says, you just said you adored Mary. Well, that's adoration. Belongs mm-hmm. only to God.
2: It's like with love. I mean, I love anchovy pizza.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Would you lay you know? down your life for an anchovy pizza? <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, how hungry you were. Well, now, if someone is looking at the catechism, is that enough? Do, do they just have to flip? You talked about using it sort of as a prayer mm-hmm. text. Do you expect people to read this from cover to cover? How, how do you digest The catechism.
2: One of the things I think is great, honestly, is is to think: Am I having a problem here with what's going on in my life? You know, what's surfacing in your life? Always, the analogy I usually use is: Imagine holding a volleyball underneath the water. You push it down; it keeps coming back up. You push it down; keeps coming back up, and you can do that all day, and it's going to keep coming back up. So, let's say you struggle with anger or forgiveness. Go and find out what the church teaches on these things. But if you drive mm. a knife into the volleyball <laughs> in anger, <laughs> it won't come back up. Does the catechism <laughs> tell us that, Father? <laughs> That's the
1: addended addendum. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll have to wait another 400 years for that catechism to come. <laughs> right. Father, thank you so much for, for just shedding a little light on, on the catechism. I, I, I see why it's such a, a wonderful part of your faith life and why it should really be a part of the faith lives of, of everyone, even even non-Catholics, mm-hmm. to understand what the church teaches and to, to pray over that.
2: Sure. And there's it's amazing because we're always a student. I'm not an authority on this stuff, but we're always a student. We're always growing. Beautiful. Thank you so much
1: for uh, joining us. And thanks again for the cookies, by the way. (laughs) No problem. Well, let's close in prayer. Speaking of cookies, let's close in prayer. Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, the more we learn of and live the teachings of the church, the stronger our faith. And the stronger our faith, the closer we grow to you. Help us to see the catechism of the Catholic Church as a gift that helps to guide us to the internal embrace of your loving arms. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.